As ranchers, we get up every morning preparing to handle the business of the day. But what about the business back in Washington, D.C. that's being negotiated that affects our industry? I'd say the biggest issue that we hear across the country is um, what are these what are these potential tax increases that, that the Congress and the administration is talking about? Ryan Yates with the American Farm Bureau joins me today as we discuss waters of the U.S., supply chain issues, 30 by 30, and a big one, tax concerns for ranchers on potentially new legislation on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and we thank you for joining us here today on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. You find us here every Saturday and Sunday. That's new. If you haven't noticed that, that's new to catch us on Sunday as well at 12 noon Eastern. We thank you for tuning in here today. By the way, as I've uh, reminded you in the past, if you've listened before, we are also, you can find this program on about every podcast provider out there. So if you hear something today on the radio that you want to go back and listen to or, or go back and listen to another show, easiest way is to about search any podcast provider out there under Working Ranch Radio Show. You will find us and then you can go back and listen to those programs. Well, on our show for today, we're going to be looking at what's going on back in Washington, D.C. And I know for some of us, we're like, oh, my word, you know, there's just so much that goes on back there. And you wonder what all is actually getting done. But there is work being done on behalf of the American rancher. And we're going to be talking about it today as Ryan Yates, Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation, is joining me. We're going to be talking about uh, about four or five different issues uh, from everything from uh, waters of the of the U.S., some, some concerns there. Also, uh, what they're looking at uh, for supply chain issues that affect our beef industry. And, of course, a big issue that I've heard around the countryside is 30 by 30 and then we're always concerned about are there going to be some new taxes that affect us and of course when when we talk about ranching it's about passing these ranches and these businesses on to the next generation and how can we do that stepped up basis and capital gains tax of course all those kind of issues so today we're going to be talking again like i said with ryan yates with the american farm bureau federation the captain tim o'burn publisher and editor of working ranch magazine will be by in a moment with his edition of this week's Tim's Two Cents. And of course, in our last segment today, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us. Not only will we be talking long-term weather, but also there's some sunspots uh, activity taking place. How does that affect weather? We're going to talk about that today with the meteorologist Don Day. Well, how would you like to win a Cross 5 cattle cooler worth about $350? Well, here's how you can do it. Right now, their registration is open for the inaugural Working Ranch Expo. We've been talking about it here on the program. It's going to be held December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas during the National Finals Rodeo. And to kick off the opening of the registration of this event, if you get registered by the 15th of September, 
then you will be entered into a drawing for a Cross 5 Cattle Cooler. If you don't know what that looks like, go find the post, search it on the internet. They are pretty cool coolers there, so to speak, uh, where you can put your vaccine guns in there and, of course, store your vaccine as well. So take a look there. Registration is $15, and it's good for all three days for the Working Ranch Expo. Kids under 17 are free. College students get in for $10. Registration includes access to over a dozen educational sessions that will take place during that three-day event in Las Vegas. So if you'd like to learn more or to register, you can go to workingranchexpo.com. Again, do it before the 15th of September for a chance to win that Cross 5 Cattle Cooler. Right now, I would like to thank the sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. You know, there was a survey done a few years ago that... uh, about different breeds of bulls sourced by commercial producers between 2014 and 2020. And did you know one of the largest growth in bull breed types during that type was bulls with Sim genetics? Heterosis works, which is why with Simmental, it's more per head period. Find out more at Simmental.org. Biozyme, keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Gelvey Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to Gelvey.org. And Hargrove Insurance, providing pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Contact Hargrove Insurance at 325 573 8975 for a free custom quote or check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. Well, now let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin, no sooner than did this Facebook post come across my feed than I lost it immediately, but I was so impressed by it. Folks, this is how we roll It was a Montana rodeo this past weekend, and they had taken their time and the duty to set aside 13 chairs in the booth and 13 beers for all 13 of those chairs leaned up against the rail like somebody was coming back, just stepped away from those chairs. For the 11 Marines, the Army soldier and the Navy corpsmen that were so tragically taken away from us a week or so ago. You know, Justin, I just think that is what rural America is all about. That's who we are. And especially as cattle people, when that anthem is sung at a rodeo, it just takes your breath away. That's my two cents, buddy. Well, Captain, thank you for that. And, you know, the thought in my head is it almost feels insignificant when we say thank you, knowing of the sacrifices those soldiers made because of what it cost them. So we do thank them. May we remember them. Also, remember their families. And in staying in the same frame of mind, I guess, let's also remember all of those that were taken from us early on September 11th of 2001. Stay with us. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Our featured interview today brought to you by Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Well, as I said in the opening of our program today, our featured interview is going to focus on what all is happening back in Washington, D.C. that does have some effect on our ranching industry. So with that, I am pleased to have Ryan Yates, who's the Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation, joining us on our program. And Ryan, thanks for being here today. Yeah, good morning. Good to be with you today. Well, I, I want to take our, our opportunity here today to go over a variety of things that I know you guys are watching on behalf of the ranchers back in Washington, D.C., and I, I know we could probably talk many, many hours about some of the things you guys are doing, but I want to limit it down to some of the things that that uh, have been at, at uh, more currently that you guys have been watching for, and I know uh, one of the first things I want to talk about is uh, Waters of the U.S., and a lot of times we, we see the abbreviation of WOTUS, and uh, earlier this summer in june the epa announced its intent to revise the definition of wotus and there was some specific terminology in there that really uh, alerted you guys had some real concern to that where are we at with the status of that and, and its effect on the rancher well yeah we were, we were deeply concerned with uh, this administration's uh, desire or announcement to to um to relook at the clean water act and specifically the, the broader issue of waters of the United States. And what this is, this is an ongoing issue that has um, provided a great deal of uncertainty to ranchers and farmers across the United States for many years now. Uh, the Obama administration uh, worked to uh, craft a what they called their clean water rule that really rewrote um, how the United States EPA and the Corps of Engineers uh, define what navigable waters are. And in that Obama rule, it really uh, included just about every every drop of water and, and waterway and even dry waterways uh, that hadn't seen a drop of rain were still going to be considered uh, under jurisdiction of the EPA and the Corps under that, that Obama rule. The, the last administration, the Trump administration in 2020, replaced um, the, 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 the Obama-era rule with a rule called the Navigable Waters Protection Rule, a rule that we supported and provided a great deal of clarity uh, to farmers, ranchers, and landowners across the country. Uh, it's very, they, we, we, we thought they were very environmentally responsible regulations, um, and we're very, we're very pleased with uh, uh, the direction of the Corps and, the, and uh, the EPA. Unfortunately, this administration decided to, um, to repeal and replace uh, the 2020 rule, and, um, and so again, we are, uh, again, disappointed in that decision, but we are, we are looking to work with the administration to ensure that any rule that they do uh, end up putting, uh, replacing the 2020 rule with uh, will work for farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there was uh, more recently a decision in Arizona that uh, has some implications that could affect this rule 
and that was something you guys sort of uh, are watching and have some real concern on. Yeah, it, it really cast a great deal of uncertainty over farmers and ranchers across the country and, and truly threatened the progress that they've made to responsibly manage water and natural resources. Uh, a, a district court attorney, a judge rather, in Arizona um, decided to dismantle the now waters protection rule and in a, in a ruling last week throughout the 2020 rule nationwide. And um, they did something that no other court has done um, in, in vacating the Navajo Waters Protection Rule. Uh, we're reviewing the, the ruling to see what the next course of action uh, will be. Uh, but at the end of the day, farmers and ranchers deserve consistency and a rule that's fair. And uh, with that decision to vacate the 2020 rule, uh, it creates a great deal of uncertainty for farmers and ranchers uh, that are trying to do their business and farm and ranch their land. And uh, with no rule in place, uh, again, there's a great deal of uncertainty as to you know how far the government can reach into their their business and and um, and regulate the waters uh, and waterways on, on their on their properties and in their operations. So it, it's a real unfortunate decision. And and um, but again, we will we will continue to work with this administration um, in their efforts to to draft a new rule. And hopefully, the whatever rule they they come up with will be will take into account the the needs of farmers and ranchers. And and we're hopeful. Uh, I know we've had conversations with uh, EPA Administrator Regan. Uh, he recognized the flaws in the in the Obama 2015 rule and has pledged to not return to that vast regulatory overreach. And, and we're going to try to hold him to his word. Mm-hmm. And I think to put it in perspective, I think when you guys are talking about that word of navigable versus non-navigable waters, we're talking about the fact that this could affect just everyday issues that ranchers are dealing with, things down to putting a fence in, digging a post hole, that if if that if that terminology goes through as, as your concern is, there would be some real concerns as far as just simple everyday things that guys are doing out there that they would have to get a permit for. That's exactly right. And, you know, and clarity is important here. I don't think farmers or ranchers need a team of, of attorneys to be with them every time they put up uh, to put a, a shovel in the ground or, or drag a uh, run a tractor across their field to know, is this jurisdictional? Is this not jurisdictional? That's, that's no way to do business. And so we need clarity. We need certainty and, and we need responsible rules in place. Ryan Yates is my guest today with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we've got more to talk about. We're going to be talking about supply chain issues that affect the ranching industry. Also 30 by 30 and later tax issues that could be coming down the pike that they are watching as well. We're going to be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all Gain Smart Mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which Gain Smart Mineral formula is right for your herd, visit gainsmart.com. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Our featured interview today is looking at some of the topics and the issues that are happening back in Washington, D.C. that uh, eventually would end up affecting the ranching industry. And I'm joined by Ryan Yates with the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Ryan, let's move on now to uh, to a topic that probably COVID-19 really uh exacerbated it a bit more and that is supply chain issues we saw that uh, affecting the beef industry uh, in regards to livestock markets and processing capacity but also when we start looking at other supply chain issues things like farm inputs and transportation which had some big news here recently to kind of relieve some of that for agriculture but also labor is a big deal i know i've had lots of conversations with ranchers that have some concern about labor and then of course trade which is a very important to American agriculture. So in regards to our supply chain issues, what are you hearing and what are you seeing that are ways that those issues are being addressed? Well, you know, and I, I think that it's a really critical and timely issue. And unfortunately, it's the issues of supply chain, you know, over the last 18 months throughout this COVID um, situation, we, we find ourselves in. There are a number of, of issues along the food supply chain uh, that have been identified as, as vulnerable. And I think, you know, all of us and consumers across the country have, have had those periods of time over the last 18 months where, you know, you see empty empty shelves at the grocery store. That's not something that Americans are used to seeing. And so, again, as, as we come out of this COVID situation, fingers crossed, <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, it, 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 it provides a great opportunity to look at, you know, what are some of the imbalances in livestock pricing? You know, we see meat prices continue to rise while ranchers struggle to break even on the cattle they raise. You know, these are problems that, that need solutions. Um, we were really pleased to see that uh, the administration has identified uh, supply chain issues as an important uh, issue to tackle. And uh, we did send a letter to Secretary Bill Sack this last week that identified a number of, of concerns and recommendations uh, that, that we're hopeful the administration will look at. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, um, we think that um, there needs to be more opportunities for farmers and ranchers to sell their products. Uh, again, I, I think the biggest issue here is, is is resiliency. I think that's the word that we need to continue to look at when it comes to comes to the supply chain and um, and efforts to build resi- resiliency throughout that system. Uh, I think are going to be critically important. So looking at you know investments in infrastructure uh, in in packing facilities, obviously. Uh, we have a just-in-time series of, 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 of packing, and I think we need to be looking at, you know, can we can we look at investments in small and regional packing facilities that can pro- that can provide that re- resiliency throughout the system, so that it will be um, less apt to, to buckle under under times of constraint. So I think there are a number of ideas on the table, but uh, we're hopeful um, that um, continued conversations um, with the administration. Uh, will identify opportunities to to really build that resiliency out. And um, but again, it's going to take. Uh, they're going to need to really invest in in um, listening to to all of the stakeholders throughout the throughout the supply chain. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be uh, solutions aren't going to be found with with one section of the supply chain over another. It needs to really uh, they need to ensure that that all parts of the supply chain from from the cow calf to the feeder to the packer. Uh, all, all need to have a part of those conversations. And again, I, I, we're, we're excited to be a part of the process. We're excited to provide input, but ultimately we're excited to, 
to, to potentially find uh, opportunities again, like I said, to build out that resiliency so that um, you know from from the rancher to the consumer, uh, folks um, folks know um, their product. They have a, a, a safe and abundant food supply and one that they can afford. Mm-hmm. One issue within that uh, supply chain issue that is always a little bit of a concern when a new administration takes over from a previous administration is how they're going to tackle and handle trade issues because you new people come in and there's new policy or new new concepts of what they think foreign trade should look like. How has that is that changed? Have we seen any concerns there in in U.S. agricultural trade into other countries? Well, I think you know trade is an important part of of, uh, of American agriculture. We produce and uh, a great deal of, of food, feed, and fiber in this country, and uh, we rely on trade agreements uh, throughout the world. Uh, and the more uh, sustainable trade agreements that we have in place, uh, we can we can provide food, feed, and fiber a- across the world, and uh, not only feed our country but but feed the world. We have a growing population, and we need to meet the the challenge. Uh, uh, that exists over the next uh, uh, few decades. So uh, trade is important. I think the last administration, we saw some critically important trade agreements put in place. The United States-Mexico-Canada agreement um, was, a, was a great agreement that, that uh, we were proud to be to be a part of. In addition, uh, China, you can't have a conversation about trade without talking about China. Uh, the, the, the phase one, uh, China, U.S.-China phase one agreement um, uh, was, a, was, a, was a historic agreement. Uh, but the question is, you know, that was a two-year agreement. Uh, what comes next? And so, again, we've been working with uh, uh, the administration and the United States uh, Trade Representative, Ambassador Tai, and her team on, on looking at um, not only uh, trade agreements um, with, with China, uh, but there are other, uh, other opportunities for trade agreements uh, throughout the world, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, U.S.-U.K., looking at E.U., um, you know, n- number of other potential countries in Africa, Southeast Asia. So again, I think finding opportunities to um, support international trade uh, for agricultural goods and products uh, ultimately leads to a more sustainable agricultural industry uh, at, at home here in America. My guest today is Ryan Yates with the American Farm Bureau Federation. As we pause here to take a break, when we come back, we're going to be talking the 30 by 30 rule and information that he has on that issue. And then later, we'll be getting into concerns on legislation being looked at that could affect uh, tax issues for ranchers, things like stepped up basis, capital gains, and so forth. And then, of course, later in the program, meteorologist Don Day is back with a look at our long-term weather. We're going to take a break here. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. For commercial cow-calf producers, crossbreeding with Galvay and Balancer is the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. Galvay and Balancer females offer maternal superiority through increased fertility, greater longevity, and more pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer cattle can offer increased performance, improve feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Galvey and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to galvey.org. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and my guest today is Ryan Yates, who's the Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And if you're just joining us, we have been talking about some of the issues and the things that they are watching on behalf of the American rancher out there they think would be have an effect on our businesses. And Ryan, as we move now to the next subject of the 30 by 30 rule and now when this first came out back last winter it really caused a lot of stir and it continues it's probably one of the subjects that i hear uh some concern it's one of the items that i see on the agenda for different member organizations that are out there that they are addressing it as well so what can you tell us about the status of the 30 by 30 and the progress that that it has i know the concern really when it comes down to uh for ranchers is is it a land grab by the federal government. So give us an update and a status on the 30 by 30 rule. Yeah, and this, this came out of a, uh, the current Secretary of the Interior, Deb Hallett, had a, I think the first time we saw the, the, the idea or the term 30 by 30 was a piece of legislation she introduced when she was in the House of Representatives that, that called for conservation. 30% of America's lands and waters to be conserved by, by 3030, or 2030, rather. Um, look, I, I think the, the idea that um, that conservation is important is something that we that we that we you know, those are important principles that we commit to. Um, that the report that came out um, from the Interior Department um, it it included important principles such as voluntary incentive-based conservation, protecting property rights, um, you know, maintaining ranching on public land. But the problem was is it really lacked specifics. And, and I'm a Westerner. I grew up out west. I, I've worked on public land issues most of my career. Uh, every other acre in the western United States is owned and occupied by the federal government. Uh, and so when you start talking about conserving more lands, there's you know questions, especially out west. People say, well, what does that mean? Are you buying more federal land? Are 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 you? Or sorry, uh, buying more private land and turning it to federal land? Are you? Is this does this mean we're going to limit access uh, for 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 timber product timber production and and forest management and, and grazing, um, and, and those are the questions that are largely um, unanswered at this point. So again, we'll continue to work uh, with the administration, but again, we want to ensure that anything that they do uh, when it comes to public lands or, or, or broadly on, on conservation, uh, that they're maintained as incentive-based voluntary conservation practices, that we're not locking up important lands that need to be managed. They need to be managed for, for long-term viability and sustainability. We see in the West, you know, when you don't manage those lands and you just lock them up, yeah. throw away the key, guess what happens? Mother Nature is going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Insects, disease, and catastrophic wildland fire, that's what takes over. I'd much rather have a sustainable ranching operation or a sustainable timber production and, and uh, on those lands uh, to protect them for the future uh, rather than, than runaway uh, fires that we've seen decade after decade of, of, of mismanagement in the West. So that, that's... Um, uh, we definitely have uh, we've had some positive conversations with both Secretary Vilsack and Secretary Halland about 3030. Uh, we've we've identified a number of our concerns, um, and at this point, we, we've seen um, we haven't seen many specifics. But uh, again, we're we're committed to work with them and their colleagues in the Congress uh, to make sure anything you know that moves forward under this broader umbrella uh, truly respects private property rights and and um, the, the Western way of life, especially for our folks um, that are running uh, running cattle and uh, sheep on, on, on federal grazing permits. Mm-hmm. 
I want to go now to probably one of the bigger issues that I know you guys are watching right now. And I know it was a concern when back to my statement a bit ago, when a new administration takes over and there's changes that they're anticipating or people are anticipating that they could be putting into place and it gets now to the issue is what are we going to see for tax implications? And I know for the ranching industry, uh, a lot of concern there with with uh, issues that are going to affect how these family ranches get passed down to the next generation. And, and so with that in mind, this is a big deal for you guys as well. And so what are we seeing in in those uh, regards to the, the issue of taxes for ranchers? Yeah, and that's a big deal. And again, across the country, there are a lot of issues that keep farmers and ranchers up at night, uh, labor implications, markets, um, the weather, <laughs> climate issues. Again, there are, there, <laughs> yeah. there's no shortage of issues that keep, keep farmers up and, 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 and worry them as, as they're looking to the next generation. But I'd say the biggest issue that we hear across the country is, um, what are these what are these potential tax increases that that the Congress and the administration is talking about? Uh, we've seen a number of proposals that, that that may likely be included in this budget reconciliation uh, discussion that's happening in Washington. Um, reconciliation is a partisan process. Uh, it's being driven by by House and Senate Democrats working uh, to achieve a number of um, uh, priorities uh, that were identified by the Biden administration. Uh, reconciliation on its own has always been uh, unfortunately a partisan process and uh, again we've seen reconciliation used in, in years past uh, the tax cuts and jobs act for example was used uh, reconciliation was used to get that done so again it, it, it is used periodically uh, but the biggest concern is is not necessarily you know reconciliation on its own for the process um, but the potential pay force and so what we're, what we're talking about is a 3.5 trillion dollars spend in this budget reconciliation bill that has to get paid for somehow some way um, through deficit spending or or tax increases and the biggest issue for farmers and ranchers right now are concerns about these tax increases that are being talked about one has to do with capital gains taxes and the proposals are talking about doubling the tap of capital gains rate from 20 to 40 percent uh, the stepped up basis is probably the biggest issue that we're talking about and um and stepped up basis you know is uh you know for example farmer rancher uh transfers their their operation to their son or daughter for the next generation um and uh those capital gains that uh, are stepped up uh, at the point of transfer so uh, one doesn't have to pay the, the, the capital gains on that property so say you have a piece of property you bought 30 years ago um and you're going to be transferring that on to the next generation or selling it as part of your business, uh, you would not have to, the, the, those gains would be stepped up. So you wouldn't be stuck with the tax bill. And again, if you look at the potential increases across the country over two, three, four decades of ownership, uh, the tax bill that's due, especially if we're talking about a 40% capital gains tax rate, uh, that's enough to, to bankrupt um, and basically eliminate that business. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a big deal. Uh, we've had a, we've got a big target on stepped-up basis in capital gains taxes, um, and it's not just uh, from agriculture. I think small businesses across the country, Main Street employers across the country, are concerned about what this tax increase uh, could do to the sustainability and viability of their businesses that they poured their blood, sweat, and tears into. So again, this is a big deal, not just for agriculture, but for all small businesses. And I'd say this is one of these issues that um, protecting against uh, these tax increases. Uh, isn't a partisan issue. We've seen, we saw a letter 
crafted by 13 House Democrats a couple months ago, urging opposition to changes to step-up basis. The current Ag Committee Chair in the House, Chairman Scott, uh, penned an op-ed opposing changes to, uh, to stepped-up basis. We saw the former Ag Committee Chair, Colin Peterson, recently write an op-ed, uh, Democratic Chairman from the last Congress, opposing stepped-up basis. And as of yesterday, a letter went to, to all members of the House and the Senate we were proud to sign, but 374 agricultural groups from across the country penned a letter opposing changes to step up basis, cap gains, and a number of other uh, potential tax increases. Um, you know, we're not talking about, I mean, this is a great deal of spending here, um, but whatever these priorities are, good, bad, or indifferent, um, they shouldn't be paid for on the backs of hardworking farmers and ranchers. So we continue to work our grassroots and urge people to continue to reach out to their members of Congress in the House and the Senate and urge them to oppose uh, taxing, uh, placing taxes on uh, uh, hard work, hardworking farmers and ranchers, especially at this point in, in time where we're coming out of major uh, trade wars, we're coming out of a COVID epidemic, um, historically low prices. I mean, this is not the time uh, to stick it to the American farmer and rancher. So again, I, I appreciate the question. It's a big deal. And I think there are other areas of a bipartisanship that we can find in Washington. For example, infrastructure. Infrastructure is a big deal. The Senate, in a bipartisan fashion, recently passed an infrastructure bill that we were very, very pleased to see the progress and grateful to the senators that came together as Republicans and Democrats to pass a bill that invests in rural broadband, roads, bridges, infrastructure. That's something that we need to get behind as a country. And we're disappointed to see that the House is holding that bill hostage. Uh, instead of spending time on a partisan uh, reconciliation bill and potentially taxing farmers and ranchers, we encourage them to instead focus on this this uh, infrastructure package that was that came out of the Senate in a bipartisan fashion and and, and provides a great deal of, of sound investments uh, in in American infrastructure. And that that's what we should be talking about in this country and stay away from the partisan prey. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ryan Yates with the American Farm Bureau Federation talking about why do we see such a disconnect between the American rancher and the activities and legislation that we see coming out of Washington, D.C. And also in our final segment today, we're going to hear from meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen, or pasture, or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. My guest today for our featured interview is Ryan Yates with the American Farm Bureau Federation. As we have been talking about the things that they are watching, that they are working on, 
uh, in regards to uh, factors or issues that would affect us in the ranching industry. And if you missed some of the conversation that we had earlier in our program, would like to go back and listen to that. One of the ways, as I said at the beginning, was search in any podcast provider out there and you can find uh, the podcast. You can go back and listen to it. Just search as Working Ranch Radio Show and it should come up there and you can find that. But Ryan, and I know this might be a little bit pie in the sky question to think this or, or wonder why this. But, you know, we have a change in the administration. It just seems like we have to re-educate or, or, there's, a, or there's a disconnect, I should say, between the American rancher and the politicians that are back in Washington, D.C., creating laws and rules that affect our industry. Why do we continue to see such a big disconnect? You know, I, I think there, there's probably a number of reasons. Um, uh, I think when you're working in Washington, you recognize you've got 435 members of Congress in the House of Representatives plus 100 senators. You've got 535 uh, elected officials in their staff that all have a variety of different views on life, a variety of perspectives, and a, and a, and a variety of different constituents. And uh, so I'm not going to judge a member of Congress for, 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 for their priorities. Uh, what I can do is, is advocate for, for rural America um, and advocate for farmers and ranchers and and um, you know that's what we do at American Farm Bureau is is our job is to put them first and to remind members of Congress that um, we need to support agriculture. We have the safest, most abundant food system in the world. Um, it continues to evolve. Uh, it continues to grow. Uh, we continue to see investments in conservation and precision ag and technology. Those are the kind of investments that are important so that we can maintain that system of food. Uh, typically. Americans don't worry about where their food comes from. They know it's going to be there. They know they can afford it. Um, I want to make sure we keep it that way. Um, we shouldn't have uh, American consumers worried about putting food on the table. So those are the, the issues that we care about, and we want to make sure that members of Congress recognize that and respect um, the need to, um, to have a, a solid, resilient, sustainable uh, ag system in the United States. Mm-hmm. Ryan, uh, you talked a little bit about the infrastructure package, kind of surprised about that or, or, or the fact that it had, uh, there was some work together between the two uh, parties to come up with a package there. Is there anything else that has surprised you here with the new administration that uh, you were pleasantly uh, pleased with in terms of what you were able to get done? You know, I will, I will say um, we, we have an open relationship um, with this administration, we, we have conversations with the White House. Uh, I know President Duvall, American Farm Bureau President Duvall, um, has regular conference conference calls and phone calls with Secretary Vilsack and others within the administration. Um, we will work with whoever American public puts uh, in the White House, and the same thing for any any uh, United States House or Senate seat. Uh, we'll work with who the voters send here. Uh, I, I I believe. Um, Secretary Vilsack um, is strongly committed to American agriculture. Uh, we'll continue to work with him and his administration. And I think, you know, anytime you're working with, with an elected official, uh, it's important to, you know, we like to look at the 80-20 rule. There's probably going to be 20% of the issues that you might not agree with, but let's focus on the 80. Sometimes it's, there's only 20% of the issues you're going to agree with, um, and you have to leave the 80 at the door. I think it's important to find what you can work together on, uh, instead of focusing on what you can fight about. And uh, at the end of the day, there are a lot of problems that we need to take on and, and find solutions to. And so we're committed to do that uh, and work with this administration and work with this Congress to figure out 
where we have opportunities uh, for potential success and, and where we do, we need to, to spend our time and, and try to get it right. Uh, we can't afford to do it wrong and uh, we're committed to working with them. Um, and, and so far, we, you know, we continue to have very, very positive conversations and uh, we appreciate their commitment to agriculture. Mm-hmm. Ryan, one final question before we go here. And I know we just addressed a little bit ago about one of the, uh, the biggest things that you all are watching that you feel is going to have a big impact to the ranching industry is the partisan reconciliation package. Beyond that, is there any final advice you could offer to ranchers, maybe some timelines that they need to be aware of and, and be watching as things are progressing back in Washington, D.C.? You know, it, it, I, I tell this to anybody. Um, you, you, you elect these people. Um, you know, members of Congress represent you, um, even if you voted for the other guy or gal. Um, but, but they work for you. Um, remember that. Call them. Uh, call their staff. They need to hear from you. Uh, and, and if there are things that, that you don't like that Congress is working on, um, let your voice be known. Call your member of Congress, call your senator's office, and, and, and illustrate that you have concerns about, about uh, you know, whatever, it is, whatever issue it may be. When it comes to this reconciliation package, um, we're largely concerned with the process as well as the potential pay force. We think there should be an open dialogue um, in, in how this bill is being written. It shouldn't be done with a partisan process. I, I don't think that that will result in, in, in good public policy. So, again, all of the issues that we talked about today, and, and Lord, there, there are a number of others that we didn't, um, but when it comes to, uh, to, to advocacy, um, you don't need to be in Washington, D.C. to be an advocate. Pick up the phone, send an email, send a text, get to know your members of Congress and their staff, and make sure they know that uh, what your concerns are and, uh, and bother them above them frequently so uh, I think that's just that's just a good thing to do and, and we certainly encourage our members to do that um, you know if you, if you need help um, you know about the issues feel free to call your county farm bureau your state farm bureau or us at AFBF and we're happy to help mm-hmm. well and incidentally we're kind of heading into the time of the year where a lot of the local and state uh, will be having their meetings in the next probably two to three months and then on to the national meetings later on through the winter time. So uh, we're kind of g- getting that a good timing here for folks to start to get involved as well. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, I do want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I know you guys are busy, so uh, as you take time out of your schedule to give us a little bit of an update as far as what we need to be aware of of things happening back in D.C. Great. Thanks so much for your time. Ryan Yates, Managing Director of Public Policy with the American Farm Bureau Federation, has been my guest today. By the way, uh, if you're interested in some of the things that they are following, that they are working on, I would invite you to uh, take a look at their website at fb.org. That's fb.org is the website for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And and like we were mentioning there towards the end, you know, we are kind of getting into the season where some of our our local and state agricultural organizations will be having their meetings. Get involved. Be a part of that process so you know what the policy is and what those organizations are doing for you when they take their work back to Washington, D.C. Our featured interview today has been brought to you by Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain Smart by Biozyme. Well, stay with us. Meteorologist Don Day is next with a look at our long-term weather and also we're seeing some heavy sunspot activity. How does that affect our weather? We're going to talk about it when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
Ranching has been in the Hardgrove family for generations, and they know the value of keeping a ranch in the family. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance provides pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. PRF Insurance is a USDA-subsidized program that allows ranchers to insure against the risk of below-average rainfall. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance utilizes industry-leading custom software to provide the rancher with information they need to stay up-to-date and educated on their policy throughout the year. Hargrove Ranch Insurance supports ranchers for this generation, the next, and those yet to come. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or online at hargroveinsurance.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, as we turn now towards weather. And this segment brought to you by Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. Well, joining us now is meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. And Don, before we get into the weather forecast, I want to talk about another subject, and it has to do with solar uh, flares or solar sunspots that we are seeing out there. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, when we did episode 36, you joined us for a, a look at the weather and predicting the next major drought was the, ep- was the podcast title there. And if you want to go back and listen to that, folks, you can go back to August 26, episode 36, and take a listen to that. But Don, as we have talked, you and I in the past, it's really made me more in tune to kind of paying attention to what's going on with the sun activity and how that can affect our weather. And in your podcast this week, you talked about uh, an increased activity of solar spots. So does that affect our weather? Well, yes. Uh, the solar cycles play a really, really important role. But the thing to remember is, is that you can have a bunch of sunspots, but you shouldn't expect the weather to change the day after. It's a, it's a cumulative effect during these 11-year cycles where we have the peaks of activity with lots of sunspots, which we would call the solar maximums, and then the decrease in sunspot activity that has these solar minimums. So now that we're getting out of the solar minimum, which happened in early 2020 and headed towards the next active cycle, over the next two to three years, maybe the next four years, we will see more sunspot activity. Now, cumulatively, over that time frame, that does impact the weather. Most notably, when you have more sunspots, you tend to have less clouds. And when you have less clouds, you tend to see maybe a, a little bit small, but a small uptick maybe in, in global temperatures. But again, it, it happens uh, over time. And conversely, when you go through these solar minimums, you have the opposite impact. Um more than anything, what you do tend to see when we do see these upticks, you mentioned the aurora borealis. So that's something that doesn't maybe affect your your real weather. But for those folks who live in the northern latitudes, we're entering a phase now in the coming three or four years here where the chance of seeing one gets a lot better. Mm-hmm. Don, I want to ask you another question here. And uh, this subject and it actually might be something that could require a whole show to answer. But recently you were featured in an article. And, and by the way, folks, if you want to, I have shared it on my Facebook page. And it was about uh, just kind of some caution out there that we are seeing in mainstream media or, or groups out there using, and the terminology used was clickbait and kind of some catchy phrases or pictures to perpetuate their agenda and showing that, or in trying to prove that all of these things that are going on out there are making 
are the reason that we are seeing these major storms coming across our our country. And you offered some caution in that article, and I wanted you to expand on that just a little bit. Well, yeah, we call uh, what I do is I call it climate clickbait, which is uh, you take a weather event, be it a hurricane or a tornado, a drought or a flood, and you basically essentially you you put with that a picture of a, a forest fire or a flood or damage from a hurricane, and then basically make the implication that this would not have happened if we didn't have man-made climate change, and uh, it's clickbait because it it makes a great headline. Um, And it's very easy to persuade people that a hurricane or a tornado may be a a bad or, let's say, a more worse hurricane if it wasn't for man-made climate change, which is basically impossible to prove. Um, If that was the case, uh, there would have been no hurricanes, no tornadoes or droughts or floods before the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. So it's a little dishonest to take everything that happens with the weather especially extreme weather and point your finger as as climate change is the cause and so i just caution people because when there is a major weather event and that's not to discount the fact that you know hurricanes are bad and people are affected without a doubt um but to say that it's because of this uh, or that uh is is very difficult to prove and a lot of times those articles have anecdotes and they're not backed up with much data. And, you know, Ida is a good example of that because we can go back in the historical record back into the 1940s, 1950s and look at hurricanes like Camille, which devastated the Gulf Coast, killed almost 240 people. And then, you know what Camille did? It did the same thing. The remnants mm-hmm. went up and caused flooding along the eastern seaboard and into the northeastern cities of the United States, just like this last one did with Ida with New Jersey and New York. And what I tell people is you need to have an historical perspective. Ida was bad, but was it the worst ever? No. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing to keep in mind is, is that historically we, we've seen these things before and we've seen these things long before there was any type of industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go back to our long-term weather, uh, looking out for the next 10 to 14 days. You have already kind of told us that we could be seeing a, uh, a shift in our weather uh, for the latter half of September. Is that still, are you still seeing that consistently in the, in the, in the data that you're looking at? We do. Uh, we are off to a really warm start. Uh, here in the month of September, very much a summer-like weather pattern, and that's going to last a little bit longer. But as we go into the third and fourth week of September, uh, our confidence is growing that we are going to see a big push of colder air come in out of western Canada, probably forming up in the Northwest Territories and moving into the western and central United States. Now, this is probably going to be This is uh, sometimes the weather in the calendars, Justin. They do sync up. We do think this will be right around the first official day of fall, right around September 22nd or so. Somewhere, you know, plus or minus two or three days around that time frame. Do expect it'll start in Canada, uh, the western provinces, and move into the central and western United States around that date and just afterwards. And if you look historically, again, doing a historical Mm -hmm. perspective, that is usually about the time when you do expect one of these bigger shifts of colder weather and basically that transition out of the summer pattern and into an early fall one. Does that shift in weather, does that show moisture with it or is it just colder weather? 
it will have moisture with it. Usually the first strong cold push of the season out of those northern latitudes does have a good amount of precipitation with it. What I think everyone's going to be watching for is like, well, is that going to go through some of those really dry areas of the West, like central and northern California, Washington and Oregon, and go across parts that are still very much in a drought situation? The answer is probably yes. Uh, those areas are likely going to be impacted by the shift in the weather. So by the end of September into early October, there should be help on the way for those parts of the United States. All right. Well, Don, thanks again for joining us here on our program today. Thanks for having me. That's meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. By the way, his daily video podcast kicks out every morning, Monday through Friday. If you'd like to check it out, you can go to dayweather.com. Somebody had uh, messaged me this week about that. They said, yep, their morning routine was a cup of coffee and listening to Don Day's weather podcast. So <laughs> that's kind of the way it is for me. So if you want to check it out for yourself, you can go to his website at dayweather.com. Well, I'd like to thank our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association, Sim Genetics, Heterosis Works, which is why with Simmental, it's more per head, period. Find out more at Simmental.org. Biozyme, keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Gelvy Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to Gelvy.org. Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. A thank you to our guests as well for joining us today. Ryan Yates with the American Farm Bureau Federation giving us some insight as far as the news and issues they are following back there. And also to the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's Tim's Two Cents. Speaking of the magazine, do you have your latest copy sitting on your kitchen table or have already got through it? Well, that's where mine's at and I've just about got through it all. By the way, be looking for that ad in there. You're going to see a picture of a way you can win a Cross 5 cattle cooler. Simple way is to register for the inaugural Working Ranch Expo that's going to take place December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas. I talked about it at the top of the program If you'd like to be entered into a chance to win that cooler, get registered by the 15th of September. You can find out more at WorkingRanchExpo.com. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can do it by calling or texting the studio at 307-363-COWS or shoot me an email at Justin.WorkingRanch at gmail.com. Well, we want to again thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show, where you will find us every Saturday and Sunday now at 12 noon Eastern here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. And, of course, you can also find us on your podcast provider. Thanks again for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.